Hi, my name is DJ Trischler, and this is Process Out Loud, the podcast. It's a space where I reflect on everything that I've learned from teaching and studying during the previous week. Most of the content will refer to my experiences in the Masters of Design program, the MDES, through the School of Design at the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning, otherwise known as DAP. While there's a lot to cover in one week, I try to keep the episodes brief at about 10 minutes each. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Process Out Loud. Sorry that I missed last week. I am still getting used to the new semester, and I just simply did not have enough time to record last week. Anyways, I'm going to just hop right in. Um, For those of you new to the show or this podcast recording, I basically go through all the classes I'm taking right now in the spring semester 2021 at DAP and also um, outside of DAP at the University of Cincinnati and different colleges. Um, So I'll start off with the class I'm taking with Professor Rodriguez in anthropology. It's an introduction to field work. And over the last week or two, I've learned a lot of new terms or learned terms that I was maybe familiar with, but didn't really know what they meant. (laughs) And the first one is reflexivity. And that is when a researcher basically, um, in a way, looks at the way they look at research. And in writing up a research report or research design, being very clear about um, who they are, their opinions, um, and even other folks thoughts within the research project. What I like about this is um, when writing research as a um, finished piece, it's almost like a recipe for other, not designers, but other anthropologists or other researchers to follow your steps. And the more reflexive you are, the more open and honest you are about who you are and your position in the research Um, the better, ideally, um, somebody could follow that research. And so, yeah, we kind of, as humans, to my understanding from from the reading, which we read from Marcus, um, an anthropologist, it's kind of like happening all the time, reflexivity, like thinking about how other people think about you, you make decisions on how you're going to act with those people. And so it's really just knowing like what's happening in between the relationships, in between the things, in between the spaces, and you that um, you are researching, and being very articulate about them, knowing that nothing's neutral. And um, that also leads to positionality. That's another word that I'm learning in research, and I am trying to really understand how to fully describe this, but my understanding is it's that it's like acknowledging your power and the power of others in a research project. So if I'm going into a, let's say a lower income community and basically I'm, I'm trying to extract value from them, um, for say a client or for the government or for my university, um, I'm coming in with power and I might be perceived to have power as the designer, the expert in the situation. And in some ways, maybe I am to use some words I'm learning, like studying down um, on people who are poor 
than me, have less money than me, um, have less maybe clout in the com in the greater community of, of the city that I'm working in or within the, the government. Um, and so it's knowing that position, um, knowing that I'm extracting value and potentially how can I reciprocate those people for giving me information. Um, I think this actually becomes the, the example that we read about, um, I can't remember the researcher's name, but she talked about going into parts of Africa. She's South African, but going into other parts of Africa and knowing that she was female and white and um, stepping into a place that was very different than what she was used to and seeing that um, some of the men in the places she were researching, was researching was expected in return for their service to her, they, they were expecting um, relationship or sexual favors. And so knowing her position going into the research, she could have prepared for that. And um, oftentimes when, at least according to this researcher, and I, I believe her, um, universities don't prepare students for that sort of situation where their position might lead to violent acts that aren't necessarily um, expected, but like a return of a sexual favor, for instance. Um, and yeah, so yeah, reflexivity, positionality, and currently we're um, this week going to start talking about decolonization. And that word is kind of a buzzword right now in design. Um, in a lot of places, there's a lot of ideas of decolonization happening, and I'm even taking a class right now, independent study to discuss decolonization. And it might sound like a new word, but it's actually a very old word. Um, maybe not very old, but it, uh, it's been in anthropology for a long time because anthropologists were often with the colonizers going into these places, studying down on the savages, so to speak, not my word, but words that anthropologists have used to describe people that are in remote areas, rural areas, or islands that haven't been touched by modernism at that point. And, um, and so I think there was a reckoning happening in anthropology a lot, lot um, sooner than, than it has in design and um, from more of the field than say in design as well. And just reckoning the fact that they had participated in colonization and how can you decolonize um, anthropology? And part of that is reflexivity, knowing and positionality, knowing that you're coming from a Western mindset quotes, um, and that that mindset comes from all the way back to Greek philosophy and that there's ideas of dualism, there's ideas of time and space, according to this author, Smith was their last name. Um, and even our religion, and it has been colonized in some ways to colonize people. And um, basically it's us Westerners looking down because maybe these other groups aren't as progressive, progressive in that they're not using technology, maybe they don't work as hard as Westerners work. And it, it becomes this idea of like bringing them into the fold of, of capitalism, of Western thought. And so as I see it, there's, um, let's see, I want to make sure I, I, I get the word right. Um, let's see, where is it? But basically it's, it's an epistemology. So 
our ways of knowing things and are very different than others. And everybody, like as Arturo Escobar talks about in Designs for the Pluriverse, we need to design a world where many worlds can exist, where many epistemologies can exist. And why is my epistemology greater than yours? Um, why is my way of knowing um, uh, and methods of knowing better than yours? And 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 that's part of decolonization is decolonizing our epistemologies, um, our ideologies, our ways of knowing, our um, paradigms that we use. And so. Anyways, I'm, I'm rambling here and I'm, I'm going to take a long time on this podcast because I'm catching up on two weeks, but, um, decolonization is more, it, it's, it's, it's epistemologies. It's also land. Um, but even those epistemologies were what allowed colonizers to go in and take land because they saw themselves as greater, having a greater epistemology than others. And so therefore they could take their land and even use um, their myths to rename the land. Um, so it's a complicated topic and really a conversation that needs to continue to have. And I, I hope designers have it well, and we'll talk about that later. But um, I think designers are really good at kind of like rah-rah, like cheering on themselves, like we're problem solving. But I think that part of it, a problem is that our, <laughs> our ways of knowing, our ways of seeing, um, yeah, that it's... It, we don't look at, um, there's a word I'm learning, teleology, I think it is. Um, I think we look at the, the purpose of our work and think it's so great, but we don't look at the, um, the causes of our work and maybe the effects of our work. Um, we just look at, like, we cheer on that purpose. Like, this is a great purpose. We must accomplish this. Um, and in, in a sense, we are continuing the act of colonization um, in many different ways. Anyways, uh, in this class on anthropology, I'm considering a, a project for the, the semester, and I'm interested in worker cooperatives and learning about them um, and understanding them better. And uh, I think that's where I'm going to go, because I think that as we talk about design and neoliberalism and colonization, part of it is being stuck in one structure, capitalism, and um, what if we tried other things in design? Uh, how would worker cooperatives work out? There's one I know of um, out in the Bay Area, but why aren't there more? Um, moving on, though, uh, to beauty, race, and gender, a uh, class that I'm taking with Professor um, Stephanie Sadara Fay, and um, Stephanie's great. I've known her for a while. Um, I've also known Professor Rodriguez for a while too, and, and I'm so thankful to be in both of their classes. And what we've been learning about is just, man, it is it is a brain contortion in some ways. Um, just noticing, again, this maybe it's this idea of colonization, um, but how um, you know, a word like liberalism, liberty, freedom—that's the big thing in the United States. We have freedom. We are a liberal society where we can make choices. We're democratic and egalitarian, um, a place where all people are created equally. And we spread that around the world. And one tool um, that we've used to spread that is beauty through cosmetics, wellness, and going into countries, say like a Muslim country, and giving them freedom of, of maybe their 
their traditions so that they could be as beautiful as they want to be. They don't need to wear the burqa. Um, and, and with that freedom comes consumerism in a lot of ways, like you are free to consume whatever you want. And in traditional societies, consumerism isn't as, as rampant. Um, but with that idea of liberty and liberalism comes consumerism. And um, so <laughs> we bring in these things through a Trojan horse of, of supplies like beauty and cosmetics. And then our, the people are left with the need to continue to buy those things, which supports the economy of the West. And, um, and these ideas and notions of beauty are based off of Western notions and ideologies and epistemologies as well. And so it's not to say like, stop, don't, I'm not saying that. And I don't know if I should say that or that there's a better one solution, but as Stephanie, um, Professor Sadra Rafe said is, um, like ask more questions and don't think that you have the one solution. Um, and we're talking about justice too, and, and body work. And, um, that's, that's a dynamic too. Justice is an interesting word. What is justice? Um, we're talking about it as like a, as a, um, it, what's the word, um, symmetry, like equal, like bringing symmetry to the world. Like there's inequality. And so justice would be symmetry. And, um, there's justice of the body. There's justice of, of law. There's justice of beauty. There's justice of all these different things that we can call into play. Um, and so that's, that's interesting. And all this th through the project, she's had us do this, um, six minute diary and, I've been keeping track of my own beauty routine and noticing that I, I have a wellness routine of like waking up, meditating, drinking water, drinking tea, have my coffee, get exercise in. I might not put makeup on or like really care about the clothes I wear, but I, I do want to like keep my mind in order so that I could work well and produce and be efficient. And a lot of ways, like I'm continuing to pursue that idea, which would be kind of like a neoliberal ideal where like I have to compete, I have to participate in society. So therefore I must take care of myself versus taking care of myself just to be healthy, just to be like, enjoy life. Um, everything becomes a way of extracting value. And so I had to even in, in my own ways, like admit my own neoliberal, um, position and, um, stance and paradigm and, I think that'd be really interesting to do with other students of design because we want to like do good. We want to do social good, but what we're doing is just perpetuating more neoliberalism. Um, so that's moving into my study and project for that class where I'd really like to study um, the beauty norms and design and how they exclude. And um, basically like I'm really interested in the labor of beauty um, in design and how much designers outside of the work they do as designers, like moving pixels around on a page or um, pushing ink on pages. Um, what is the labor required to, to uphold a lifestyle of a designer? Um, I see it in the conferences. I see it in houses I go into. Um, it's almost like a well-curated lifestyle that's expensive. Um, and and it, it is labor and do designers realize that they are laboring and what are they laboring for and who's excluded from that process because maybe they don't look like a designer or act like a designer or in the end design like a, 
a designer is supposed to design. I'm going to pause there on, on beauty, race, and gender and move on to this independent study I'm taking with um, Craig Vogel, which is a really great um, juxtaposition, I think, to so many of the other classes I'm taking, which I think come from more of a critical perspective. Um, and Craig is, is very centrist, he would say, like left center. Um, and I'm hearing Craig say that even words like decolonization or white supremacy are, are divisive. And, and how do we bring words into the classroom that aren't as divisive? And I don't know what I think about that. I, 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 I do agree that they can be divisive, but I wonder if that's necessary at this point in time. And um, so we're, we're thinking about the word decolonization and what that means for design processes. And um, Craig has brought up the word inclusive design, which came out of the UK and would have been originated for um, people of different abilities, physical abilities. So how do you design mainstream products for people that um, aren't um, normative um, in the scheme of, you know, like abilities? And um, I, I guess I called a question just the idea of feeling like we have to design mainstream products. Like why, why do we even have to, to hop into the mainstream as designers? Why can't we be super local focused? Um, and why does a product have to extend across the globe? In the first place is, is a question I ask. I understand that that's just the world we live in, um, but is it the only option? And um, otherwise, I mean, I have nothing, I have no, no qualms with designing inclusively. Um, I think that's important. But when we, when we talk about the word decolonization, I think inherently we all start to think of epistemology and what am I bringing to the table? What is my positionality um, and being reflexive? Um, who is designing? Um, why are we designing? And I think that we have to question and investigate our purpose too and our methods. And so I, I really like the word eclectic. I know that it's an old-fashioned word, and it it calls to mind maybe like a thrift store. But eclectic is pulling from multiple methods and multiple tools and multiple epistemologies, knowing that maybe you have to move from a positivist theory to a um, critical theory at some times, or knowing that you have to move from rationalism to... Um, I don't know, another epistemology. And again, this gets into like old, old theories and philosophies, but I just don't know the designers know that they have those options and know that they have the agency to make those decisions. And we just like fly by the seat of our pants designing. And, and so I, I, I don't know. I think decolonization is a pause. It's not a, it's not a, action. I mean, it is an action, but it's a call to pause and ask ourselves, who am I? Am I the colonizer or am I being colonized? And what do I do about that? And um, are we in post-colonization in that like, we're not, you know, the British Empire's not the British Empire anymore. Um, people aren't going around like stealing land necessarily. Uh, well, I, maybe they are actually. And so are we post-colonization? Are we still just colonizing? And are brands 
in, in essence, global brands colonizing the world with their epistemologies and ideologies and, and belief systems of, of the brand and, and taking people's um, ethical surplus, which is kind of like a new word to me, but um, Coke is just Coke. The ethical surplus would be that we give it um, time as like participants in the brand of Coke, wearing its clothing or or like sponsoring it in sports. And it becomes bigger than just sugar water in a can. It becomes this like family heritage or it becomes this um, release or escape from, from the day to day or, but it's just sugar water, right? Like it's, it's no more than that. Um, so anyways, yeah, like where are we? <laughs> what is our position? And um, I don't think we can just throw away a word like decolonization so quickly. Personally, um, I think we need to reckon with it and and let it bug us and let it like move things in us. And um, especially those of us who have been on the side of colonization, um, maybe we need to let that word colonize us a little bit and see what it does to us and be uncomfortable with it. And um, how does that change the way we design? And um, rather than trying to, you know, just find ways to extract value in, in from the word itself um, or from indigenous people or folks who have been colonized, um, I don't know. I, I think it, it involves reckoning and wrestling and, and pause in our progress to always have answers. Um, all right, moving on. Um, proposal prep is the... One, second to last class I'm going to talk about. I don't have much to say there other than I feel like I get to combine all the things I'm thinking about in those three previous classes. And I'm really interested. I found some great reading on um, design and neoliberalism. And I'm really curious about how to bring um, awareness of neoliberalism into the classroom. I have students that want to be activists. I have students that want to do social good. And this idea of neoliberalism, I think, in a lot of ways prevents, at least at this like late stage in capitalism, um, I think we're getting to a point where we're starting to do more harm than good um, with, with these tools. And that, I mean, I know that that in a lot of ways might mean that I'm saying that capitalism has done good or neoliberalism has done good. And maybe it's done less harm in the past or it's doing more harm. But actually, I, I'm, I question even me saying that because I think that these things have existed only because of the harm they've done and wouldn't have it been as successful if they hadn't done as much harm as they've done, whether it's capitalism, slavery, or, I mean, even just watching the, the crown on Netflix and seeing how um, Margaret Thatcher's government relied on war and um, the Falcon Islands and relied on apartheid um, and not, creating austerity measures in um, South Africa so that the economy could go on in, in their country. Um, in some ways, it requires nationalism. And so, yes, people are, you know, I know I hear the stats like people are living longer. People are, um, infant mortality rates are lower across the world. And, um, and you know, the, the climate is being degraded quicker and um, 
people's lives are threatened quicker and um, and inequality is still a thing and um, and so in some ways I feel like capitalism is gonna find ways to hide its harm um, and it's it's hidden it very well I think for those who are who don't want to look for it or don't feel the harm um, and I think designers are, are privy to that and so how do I teach that in the classroom? And oftentimes I read these papers that talk about it and they say, well, there's not enough time in this paper to, to test these things that we're proposing um, as alternatives, or there's just not enough time. And, and I might say the same, like, do I have enough time in my year of thesis writing to study this and test it and, and bring it to the classroom beyond theory and, and bring it into practice? and. I think that would be, um, I need to keep looking and see if others have done this and how others have done this. Um, but I think that that could be my contribution to, to my, to the research and design spaces is testing some of these things in the classroom, writing about it. And, you know, that's my life work beyond that is following up with students and, and working with them and, and seeing how, how that's empowered them in their work. Um, to do better. So, speaking of classroom, and I know I'm way over time here, and for those of you who stay on here, um, thank you, but uh, typography too is, a, is another class. Um, it's the only class I'm teaching this semester, and I'm teaching it to first year, um, second semester freshmen, and man, it has been uh, an education to teach type. And Maybe this connects to some things in beauty, race, and gender, or other classes. I mean, since typography dates back to um, ancient times, it's an amalgamation, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, an assemblage of cultures. I mean, whether it's going all the way back to like cuneiform or hieroglyphics and, and, and just like the ways in which language has kind of built itself into what I now speak, the English language, or um, the Latin alphabet, um, not just in English, but even in some romantic um, languages like French and Spanish. Um, but the, there's colonization in there. Um, there's capitalism in there. There's, but also like there's Eastern ideas in there too with like the Arabic numerals, which came from India. Um, and so it's, it's interesting teaching type <laughs> and there's so much I want to dive into there, but I also have to teach them how to use students, how to use in design and kerning, letting, tracking and make things readable, legible, not readable, but legible. Um, and, and, uh, and at the same time, I'm teaching them to design things left to right, top to bottom. And, and today we're teaching, or this week we're going to be getting into timetables, which time itself is a Western concept. Time that, as we know it, is a Western concept, or or the way I'm teaching it is from a Western perspective, in which um, time is related to work and how much you work is related to how much money you make and how much you contribute to society, and and so it's interesting just to like figure out how to to add that stuff into, into my classroom, um, subtly without, you know, paralyzing the students. Um, 
but then also teaching students like making beautiful things. I'm not even sure that's the right word, beautiful, but making good design, design that that's. I like Heskett's term, design that's design is is like a on on the um, spectrum of like significance and utility, and teaching utility. So like, okay, like how do you create informational hierarchy in this? How do you create it so that's legible and people want to read it? Um, but also how do you make it significant so that it's, I guess, um, draws the person in and creates a beautiful or not beautiful, but creates rhythm and creates texture and creates all these things that make something um, worth reading and holding, um, but also provide utility. And it's just, I think teaching type is one of the biggest challenges I have right now. Um, and critiquing type so that it's not just like, this is good and this is bad, but like, why is this working? Why isn't this working? Could this work? And how might this work for some people, but not for other people? Knowing that there's not just one solution um, and knowing like, again, who are you designing for? What world are you designing for? Which people, citizens are you designing for? And how would they receive this? Um, is this a gift? Is this value adding to their to their life? Um, and anyways, I'm going to stop there. But yeah, that's a lot. I'm at a half an hour and I got to get ready for class. But um, I hope you're all are well, you all are well. And I know I'm covering a lot here. And if anything stands out that you're just like, that does not make sense or that's wrong. <laughs> Rather than stop listening to the podcast, I appreciate you just um, calling me into conversation about those things. And um, let's talk about it. So with that, I hope you have a good day and I will um, be with you again soon. Bye.